HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation cure masters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit surreyfarms.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. All right, it is Thursday, 1 o'clock, and once again, you've tuned in to the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You're listening to The Farm Report. I'm your host, Aaron Fairbanks. I am the executive director of the Heritage Radio Network, and each week on The Farm Report, we tuck into the, the nitty-gritty of what's happening around the country in the world of agriculture. And today I'm excited to say that we have a very special guest on the line, uh, Mary Berry of the Berry Center. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to hear the words farm report. I haven't heard those since I was a kid. Yeah, I know. When I was growing up, they would have kind of the farm report, and it would be a, you know, a weekly kind of radio classified of different equipment that was for sale, and you could call in and, and make a bid on, on somebody's old tractor or hitch or whatnot. Well, I was awakened every morning by the farm report uh, coming out of Louisville, Kentucky, which is about 40 miles from where I'm sitting. And my father would get up in the morning and turn the farm report on really, really loud <laughs> so that we all knew it was time to get up and see what was happening See what's on the happening farm. out there in the, in the farm world. Well, we, we, you know, we were lucky enough to get a chance to meet, meet your dad, Wendell Berry, and meet you when you guys came uh-huh. into the studio this past October. And we wanted to bring you back on uh, the network today to talk a little bit about the, the Berry Center and, and hear a little bit more about that organization and the work that you do there. So maybe you can start with just a brief overview uh, of the scope of, of what's happening and what the Berry Center is. Well, the Berry Center, um, the most important work I think we're doing is to continue my father's and my family's work in agriculture starting in Kentucky. Um, my family has lived in the same place for something like 200 years, and we have farmed for years. And my grandfather really started our our family's public life in um, working on behalf of small farmers. Um, 
he remembers his father coming home from sale of the sale of his tobacco crop with nothing nothing left over for from a year's work and so he decided at that point to do something about it he i think he was all of 7 and he grew up and went to law school and came back home and wrote what's called the Burley Tobacco Program. And so really ever since since that time, my family has been involved in working, as I said before, on behalf of small farmers. Um, a couple of years ago, I was appointed to a federal board that had to do with agriculture and voted on to a very small um a family farm advocacy group. I was voted on the board of that group as well. And what I found on both boards was that people didn't know very much about agriculture and certainly didn't know much about the history of agriculture in our state. Um, I went to my father at that point and said, we've, we've got to work on several fronts. We've got to work on education and policy and access to capital, etc., uh, the things that that uh, my father laid out in the Unsettling of America, which was published 35 years ago, and um, I said we need to work on these things all at the same time. He said it sounds like you're starting a center, and I said, well, I guess I am. And um, I said to him at that point, I need to to do this. I need to speak for you to some degree. And he said, you and I speak with one voice. So at that point. I went to work on the center, and so we are now in the little town of Newcastle, which is where my grandfather and my uncle John have uh, practiced law. We're actually in their law office. Um, We're about eight miles from where my parents live and um, where I grew up, and we're we're working to change a local food movement into a cultural change. And uh so that's that's what we're doing. Would you like to know some specifics? Yeah, well, let's talk into it a little bit. Um, you know, uh, taking a look at the the goals and services section from your website, where where mm-hmm. folks can kind of uh, reach you guys and learn a little bit more by visiting uh, org. You know, one of the f- things at the top of the list is that you're really providing an archival function for for some of the writing of of the folks in your family. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm curious, do, are the archives primarily, um, uh, are there something people can access remotely or is they, that vision? Uh, they will be able to access them remotely. At this point, um, a woman who works here at the center with me uh, is archiving um, all of the papers of my grandfather and my uncle. Um, so it will be a while before they're public, but yes, they will be they will be public, and people will be able to access them remotely. Um, but this has been it's been fascinating work. For one thing, my uncle and my grandfather write so much like my father; <laughs> it could they could all be one person. Um, and we're learning so much about how the Burley Tobacco Program was put together, for one thing, which is not common knowledge in your part of the world, but was is the reason uh, Kentucky has 86,000 small farms today. Um, and so we're, we're reading speeches that my grandfather gave to Congress in the 40s, and um, it's wonderful, and it's the background of my father's work. I wonder, I mean, I'm often struck rereading your father's work, how it, 
in a way that I find, a, quite frankly, a little bit frustrating, feels like it could have been written, you know, last year or, or last month. I mean, so many of the themes uh, and ideas that he touches on uh, feel so relevant and timely. And I'm curious, are you finding uh, that you're having a similar reaction to reading the, the works of your, your uncle and your grandfather? Yes, and it's um, pretty sad, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, we read, I just read a speech that my grandfather gave to Congress in the 40s and with, uh, with just a few changes, really just changing some nouns. It could be given today and be completely relevant. Um, so... Um, I guess it's that one of the that that you know often often quoted you know those who don't learn from the past are doomed to repeat it and mm-hmm. I think you know what's exciting about about having some of this work come to light and hopefully reach a broader audience is that you know maybe we'll do better this time around maybe this generation will be the generation that that you know sees change in a more substantive way and I know that one of the other focuses of the center is to to work on improving young farmer education, and maybe you can talk a little bit about how you're hoping to accomplish that. Well, first of all, uh, we have to do better. I don't. I think we have now backed ourselves into the uh, corner, and we've got to do better. Um, and so then, so therefore, I'm going to believe that we will do better. Um, sometimes choice is a good thing, and sometimes it's not. <laughs> At this point, we don't have any choice. Um, I certainly see when I go around the country to speak that many, many, many young people are coming to hear uh, what what people have, what farmers have to say um, about what's going on. And I think young people today see that they don't have a limitless future, not that anybody has in reality, but we've been sold a bill of goods for years that, that the world is our oyster, and we can do anything we want. Well, we now know we can't. So, um, so yes, we're working hard on uh, young farmer education. We're starting a four-year ag degree at a little college called St. Catherine College in the geographical center of our state of Kentucky. Um, it's um, an interdisciplinary program that um, its start was a meeting of the faculty of that little school and my father, and we talked about what needs to be a part of of this degree, and um, so that's uh, that's in place. It we hope it will start next fall. It could take another year. I don't know, but um, it's in place and going well. Uh, we're also starting a farm school in our own county of Henry County um, on some land that the mayor of Louisville has donated to the center to start to help um, people who are already farming or who want to farm and don't, can't, don't want to or can't go to college um, to have a place to go and study and do internships and um, learn what they need to know to um, succeed in in agriculture right now, um, and it's it's a rough road to hoe. <laughs> so uh, we're we're um, working hard on as many fronts as we can. We are also talking with several big schools about um, about a way to insert agrarian thought all across 
all the majors, which I think is essential, um, whether you farm or whether you don't. Agrarian thinking needs to become part of our, our culture. And um, so we're trying to hit as many fronts as we can with um, with the little staff that we have. And so far, it's going pretty well, and we're very excited about it. Now, just to give us a sense of timeline, when when did the... When did the center, when, we, when was it founded? Um, it was founded, let's see, it's been, it's getting close, well, it's a year and a half. Okay. Um, and, of course, we had to do all the things you have to do when you start a nonprofit, and it took some time to get all those things done, but they're done now, and we're underway, and... Um, um, sometimes I think we've gotten a lot done, and sometimes I think we haven't gotten anywhere near enough done. <laughs> I feel <laughs> but we're working every day. So. Yeah. <laughs> so. We, we definitely feel the same way here at the radio network. Um, I understand. Just kind of staying focused in, in the midst of um, what can often feel like a pretty, pretty insurmountable work. But um, one of the things I find so interesting is, you know, you guys have a real focus on... Kentucky and using, you know, your your home base as as the the space where you're going to kind of create work and, and focus on work. And I wonder, was that an obvious choice for you to look at, at at launching an organization that would would use kind of its surroundings as the the primary model, um, while you're kind of you know putting your tentacles out to reach into these other aspects of things. Um, the, the Kentucky focus. I mean, how did how did you come to that as a as a benchmark? Well, uh, to to repeat myself, I didn't have any choice. I was born here. I never have wanted to be anywhere else. I've done some traveling and so on, but um, I want to be here. This is this is where I'm at home. And if we're going to follow the example of my family, um, this is where the work needs to start. Or needs to be continued, I should say, because the work has been started. It certainly wasn't started by us. Um, so Kentucky is my context. Um, in fact, I'd have to go even smaller than that. Henry County, where I live, is my context. Um, it's my home. It's where I know that what I do matters. Um, I was asked to write some years back for a conference at the Land Institute in Kansas, a piece called Why I Live Where I Live. And um, I realized in that piece, and this is the value of writing, of course, you realize things you didn't know you knew, but um, I remember thinking and then writing, if I think about the globe, about the whole world, I don't matter all that much. If I think about America, I don't. You know, what What can I really do? So I got it all, um, I took it down to the, to the state, to the county, to the town that we lived outside of, and then to the farm where I live. At that point, then you find out that everything you do matters. So you start there. You start on the ground. And you can see what needs to be done. You can join with other people that you can, that you know and that you see. And then that work grows, and um, I think that's the only way to start and stay sane and not fall for 
big fixes to work on the 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 little work that must be done, um, and then you see what happens. Um, Daddy says that when he wrote The Unsettling of America, which was published in 1977, he had four allies besides his family. Um, and he says, now look, there are people talking about these things everywhere. Um, but I don't know that that would have happened if he hadn't come back to Henry County and um, started to farm where he grew up in the place that he knew and loved, and he worked on that in that context. Um, I think that's that's why it has mattered so much. And this, of course, is not to say a person has to live where they were born. They don't. But they have to be at home somewhere. Um, and so, as, as again, to quote Dad, just get someplace and stay there. <laughs> and... Um, figure out what's going on around you and make yourself useful and at home there. Um, back to our education program, I, I gave short shrift to um, to the start of that program. Um, our friend Wes Jackson, who I expect you know and I expect your listeners know, uh, who's, who works at the land or who runs the Land Institute in Kansas, says that for 30-plus years, uh, our college's major... Uh, major majors, <laughs> major major has been upward mobility, and now it has to be homecoming. So at St. Catherine, that's what we're doing. We're going to teach kids how to be useful at home, and that is that can take a lifetime to figure out, and it's fascinating work. So, so, so that is a very long answer to your question of why, why here. I think you answered a, a series of subsequent subsequent que- que- uh, questions. <laughs> so I guess we get to, we get to miss out on my my lispy m- meanderings. Um, we are going to take just a, a short break, and when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, these uh, these ideas around planning. Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards and Sons. Edward Suriano hams are aged to perfection for no less than 400 days and hickory smoked to achieve a deep mahogany color. The Edwards name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats. Their exclusive curing and aging recipe produces a unique flavor profile that enhances the quality characteristics of Berkshire pork. Optimum amounts of pure white fat marbling contribute to a flavor that's a delicate, perfect balance between sweet and salty. For more information, visit www.surreyfarms.com. Listening to the Knife Show remix of All Right, OK by Tennille on Heritage Radio Network.org. We are 
back. You have tuned in to the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to The Farm Report, and I am your host, Erin Fairbanks. We are on the line with Mary Berry of the Berry Center, um, talking about the, uh, the unsettling of America, culture and agriculture. So, Mary, before the break, you were talking a little bit about the influence of Wes, Wes Jackson in, in your work and your life. And um, I want to talk a little bit about the 50-year the farm bill, and maybe you can give my listeners who may not be familiar with the concept kind of a, a brief synopsis of, of what we're talking about when we talk about a 50-year farm bill. Um, I'll, I'll make this very short so that I don't make any mistakes. Uh, let me say first that to read the 50-year farm bill um, is it, one of the wonderful things about it is how readable it is. Um, you can actually um, do it in not too much time. Uh, you can go to the Land Institute's website and the 50-year farm bill is on that website, and people should should have a look themselves and not count on me to explain it. But in essentially, it is a a bill that over 50 years changes our agriculture from 80% annual and 20%. Perennial to 80% perennial and 20% annual. Um, this is absolutely essential work, and one one of the reasons that um, West Jackson is so important to to all our efforts is that the Land Institute is working on perennial grain crops, and of course we have to think about grains. Too often, I think the local food movement um, thinks only about fruits and vegetables, that that's, that's the important piece. And, of course, that is important, but we, we've got to think about calories. And um, grain is an essential piece of this. And if just imagine what it would mean if you could turn this around so we're not plowing up such a huge percentage of our cropland every year that it's in perennial, it would uh, eventually be in perennial grain crops, but we also know that perennial uh, crops include uh, permanent pasture, um, includes forestry, it includes all kinds of things, or orchards and so on, things that are already going on. So it's not, it, it's not, um, something strange it's the way nature works and um so that's that is in a nutshell what it is and i i think the best way to get an idea about it is to read it um daddy has all has written a piece that i believe is on the atlantic magazine's website that that talks that gives his point of view about the 50-year farm bill and that's well worth reading also but that in a nutshell is is what it is yeah, I was. It's interesting, and I would definitely agree with you that it is incredibly uh, a read, readable, super digestible as a piece that everyone should check out for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I and I know, uh, kind of thinking about the piece um, and my experience reading it, one of the things that kept going back and forth was feeling like, wow, this is such a this this is such a radical piece. To feeling like it's so radical what we're doing now that you know <laughs> exactly. what we're doing now is kind of the radical weird thing. You know, yeah, what's being laid out in this plan, ultimately, it, 
follows my you know intuition so 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 fluidly that um you know it was a, it was it was definitely an experience and and something i've been thinking about a lot um you know since we had your your dad out in the studio well i wanted to talk about you had mentioned that you know we're coming up on or we're in the midst of the 35th anniversary of the publication mm-hmm. uh, of the unsettling of america culture and agriculture by by your father wendell berry Yes. And you guys are working on a conference to kind of celebrate and and kind of look at this question of what will it take to resettle America that's coming up in April. So I'm hoping you can give us um, a little bit of a peek into what what's going to be covered in the conference and in ways that maybe folks can get involved. Uh, well, yes, we're calling it from unsettling to resettling, um, and what what it will take to resettle America. Um, we're going to talk about this notion of education for homecoming. Uh, Wes Jackson will be there to lay it out for us, and then a panel of uh, excellent people will, will respond to what he has to say. We're going to talk about. Um, Food is a cultural pro- product. We're going to call it, talk about true cost accounting and um, with Woody Tash and some other from Slow Money and and some other wonderful people. We're going to talk about land use, which is what this this local food movement um, needs needs to be thought of as a land use movement. If we if we think about land use, then we take this down to the ground where it's got to be. Um, we're going to talk with Fred Kershman and um, Wes and um, Bill McKibben and other people about the 50-year farm bill also. Um, and then we're going to kind of have a uh, one, the last morning of the conference, we're going to have uh, a conversation between people like Daddy and Vandana Shiva and Fred Kershman, um, they're going to talk about what it will take to resettle America. And we expect to leave the conference with, with some concrete ideas of, of how to do this work um, or how to continue the work or how to strengthen the work, depending on where we are. We also hope and, well, we plan to have... Um, uh, after after the conference to work on a book that will be kind of I've been trying to think of a better title or a better term for this but a sequel to the unsettling of America um, called resettling of, Amer- of America so I hope that it will the conference will start us where we are right now and help us move forward and I even am so bold as to hope that it will be a, a watershed moment when we say at this point we all agreed that these things need to be done and we need to go to work in partnership um, with everyone who's working on these things and get this done. Um, I don't know how long it'll take. I don't know how all of it looks. I don't know how we're going to do all that we need to do, but I don't think we have any choice, and I don't think there's any better work than to try to make this change. So, And I, I do feel like you've just laid out for, for folks who are, are just, you know, oftentimes I find 
folks are just starting to engage in, in starting to think a little bit more deeply about where their food is coming from and about agriculture and, and trying to get a sense, I think in particular for urban residents who, who either didn't grow up uh, with agriculture, um, in engaging in agriculture in a way that they were, you know, every, every, oh, I'm going to start again. You know, I, I was at this, this party last night um, and, and there was a, a a tote bag at the restaurant in, in Haven's kitchen. And it said, you know, a quote from your dad eating as an agricultural act. Mm-hmm. And I think as urban residents, we often don't think of it as such. And, um, you know, a well, lot- I think that you're so wise to be saying this, um, in my travels and I've been traveling and speaking a lot in the last year and a half or so and, and intend to keep it up for a, for a while. I have needed, needed to and wanted to, but mostly needed to, tell audiences of interested, concerned, good people ready to go to work on this, that this is, we're talking about farmers and we're talking about rural America. And if we don't keep our minds on rural America and what it takes for a farmer to to survive, uh, one of the things that my grandfather talks about a lot in his speeches and in his, his writings is the idea of parity, which of course is completely lost in our culture. Um, we had it. We had that idea through the through the New Deal and so on, but we've totally lost it. But we've got to stop fantasizing about what's going on in the countryside and start really looking at what's going on. We've got 16% of this country's population lives in rural America. Everybody else is urban. Now, that's a deserted countryside. And, you know, all of the wonderful things that are going on with urban agriculture and community gardens, et cetera, et cetera, are absolutely wonderful and need to work and are working in lots of places. But we cannot do without the countryside. And I think a lot of the time people who live in urban places forget that or haven't noticed it. And it's easy to forget it right now because we've got plenty of food. Um, But our food system has Achilles heels all up and down it. And we need we need a flourishing rural America um, to ta- to to actually make us food secure, as people say. I don't especially like that, but um, we've got to have it. So, and of course, country people have never been much appreciated. And my father says the way agriculture, the way culture goes, is the way agriculture goes. And we've lost our agriculture, and we've virtually lost our culture. So, um, you know, we've got a lot to do, but we, but now we're asking the right questions and we're beginning to insist on answers. And maybe we're even becoming a country of uh, people who can see what's going on and who can actually think um, for themselves. Um, I see evidence of that everywhere and it's very encouraging. And so I'm hoping for the best. Well, yeah, and I and I think you know what was interesting about some of that co- the conference lineup and your father's work in particular is 
Uh, you know, I think you outlined some great people for folks out there looking to self-educate and start thinking um, a little bit more deeply about these issues should definitely seek out some of those authors and, and thinkers. Oh, and, and obviously, um, you know, if you haven't already kind of read extensively uh, of Wendell's work, definitely, definitely important. Um, I, I would hearken to say necessary. Um it's important, I think, to look for uh, ways to give yourselves yourself a perspective as, as an urban resident and and understand, I think, you know, how you make your how you make an impact in your home here and, and how that is re- reflective of what what it, things look like in the countryside. And um, if folks want to sign up for the conference, um, are tickets available yet or where should they look for them? Or um, On January 25th, they will become available. Um, check our website at that at, on that date, and our finished agenda will be there. The cost, etc. All all of the information will be on our website on January twenty fifth, and that's when we start taking reservations, not before. And I so, know. Um, um, and also on our website, you were talking about things that people should read. There's also a list of. Uh, what we call the Wendellberry book list, and there's a quotation under it from my brother who says, Dad would want everyone to know who his teachers were, and it's a list of really excellent books that were written in, most of which were written in the 20s, 30s, 40s by great people who were virtually forgotten, but you know, they were, Dad didn't come up with this all on his own, and neither did any of the other great people that we've talked about today. There have been people talking about these things for a long time. They've just, they just haven't been heard. So, um, so there's a, a world of good information, and, um, and it's pleasurable. It's more, I think it's more pleasant to live an, an examined life, as they say, than to just kind of sleepwalk through your life. I mean, you ought to think about what you eat and what you buy and where you buy it. It's more pleasant that way. Um, yeah, I think you'd you rather find than... out who your neighbors are. Exactly. So, it's, so I... there's a great. You know, this is this sometimes seems like such daunting work, and it's kind of seems kind of grim to some extent. But on the other hand, it's where our joy lies. So. So take go. Heart. So take heart, Mary. Thank you so much for taking some time to join us today. Best of luck um, in your work, and we definitely plan on on staying in touch. Um, if folks um, should haven't already, definitely get to the website www.barrycenter.org. Um, sign up for their email list. Take a peek at the conference, the, the book list, and of course, um, you know, always. I'm sure financial contributions are welcome. Uh, to, to continue to support your work. Well, that was very nice of you to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I enjoy being with you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mary. Um, if you miss us live, don't worry. This, like all 27 of our programs, are available as a free download through our website, uh, through iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher Smart Radio. We are a nonprofit organization, and we depend on the support of our listeners if you like what you hear you want to support our work you can make a donation by visiting us at www.heritageradionetwork.org and clicking on the donut tab thank you so much and tune in next week for another episode of the farm report
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.